Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Webinar Wednesday by Smart Karma. I'm Michael Tegos. Today, I'm excited to welcome Insight Provider Just Do, who will use Uniswap as a case study to talk about ways to conduct fundamental analysis uh, on cryptocurrency. Josh uh, has been an investor throughout his career. Uh, he has experience in uh, multiple asset classes in companies like Morgan Stanley and Deutsche Bank. Currently, his focus is 100% directed at identifying, investing in, and sharing investment ideas in the crypto asset class, as he believes this will be the fastest growing space for years to come. Although he's a major believer in the macro thesis of crypto, his research is bottoms up focused and will break down key uh, crypto investments into their fundamental components. So investors with institutional experience uh, will be familiar with them. Josh, let me welcome you to the webinar. Thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, I'm sure everybody's looking forward to hear from you. So have at it. Great. Thank you very much, Michael, and very happy to be here to uh, attend this webinar to share my research and analysis on crypto. So a little bit of my background uh, first, and then, you know, maybe I'll talk about the history of crypto a little bit as how I understand it. And then finally, you know, we'll reach deep and talk about this case study for uh, Uniswap. So for me personally, um, I think maybe some of the participants know me uh, already in my previous life. So, you know, as uh, Michael mentioned, I've been a investor all my career and mainly, you know, I have shops like uh, Morgan Stanley, Deutsche Bank. Uh, my last gig was at Horizon. Uh, before that, I was at Mass And the asset class I invested in professionally uh, were primarily equities um, as well as a little bit of credit. Um, but personally, you know, I've been interested in crypto uh, since basically um, 2017. And um, unfortunately, it's crypto, you know, it's very different from what I was doing professionally at work, where it, it was very much bottoms up, uh, you know, deep fundamental um, analysis, right, on the stocks, on the credit, on the companies. But what drew me into crypto is actually um, this chart, which is uh, price action, right? So 2017, when I was at NineMass, um, you know, a bunch of my colleagues were just, you know, looking at the Bloomberg terminals and watching this crazy thing um, going up, shooting up a thousand percent year to day returns in 2017. And that was called uh, Bitcoin. So before that, I had pretty little knowledge about Bitcoin. I assume what everyone else assumed where, you know, it's a tulip bubble. It's, you know, it's a, it's a Ponzi and it will, you know, eventually um, pop. But the price action in 2017, like really um, interested me as well as my colleagues. So, you know, we started doing a little bit more work and eventually I invested some money basically at the top and uh, in 2018, 2019 lost pretty much, you know, 80, 90% of it. But that got me extremely interested because, um, you know, I got my foot wet and I was doing work to understand crypto. And crypto back then, it was basically only Bitcoin. So the analysis um, that we did and most people have done is mainly just macro, right? So you have the bull thesis and then you have the bear thesis. The bull thesis is like Bitcoin, it's anti-inflationary. It is a um, replacement for gold. You know, it is permissionless. Not, it cannot be you know regulated by the government with quantitative easing and stuff like that. Therefore, you know, the market cap of Bitcoin should at least... Um, go to as high as, you know, gold, for example, or even higher as what the bulls uh, would say. But then on the bear, bearish side, right, the, the argument is like, well, you know, there is no intrinsic value. There is no real asset to this. Um, there is no, you know, dividend. It does not produce any sort of returns or profits or revenue. Um, it is a Ponzi. It is a tulip bubble. We have seen this before and it will eventually um, pop as well, right? So depending on which side you're on, the bulls, the bears, uh, you know, you made your investments um, accordingly, right? But still, all of that was still very uh, top-down, very macro-based. And, you know, it required you to have a view on 
on the world, on interest rates, um, on quantitative easing and stuff like that. But um, something really interesting happened between the end of 2017 to now, basically. In the years um, after 2017, actually immediately after 2017, what had happened was Bitcoin's dominance of the total market cap of uh, crypto decreased significantly from you know, 90% to 40% now. So this is a chart of um, uh, crypto dominance and the sort of uh, orange uh, line represents Bitcoin, which uh, as you can see in 2017, was hovering around 90% and very quickly um, it dropped to 40% where it is now today. Um, so why, why did this happen, right? Why, um, why, did, uh, why did Bitcoin's uh, dominance decline? Well, this is due to the rise of Ethereum. So Ethereum and other sort of um, so-called layer one uh, protocol coins, they, they were um, a innovation that's a little bit different than Bitcoin. With Ethereum, as well as uh, with other uh, layer ones, what was possible was now the programming of money, as well as the programming of protocols that sit on these layer one uh, chains that could govern money. So, you know, Bitcoin, you can think of it just as a, you know, a reserve currency, but Ethereum and the other layer ones, it was programmable, it become companies, it become applications. Um, so now when you look at sort of the total breakdown today, and today's um, crypto market cap is around 3 trillion. So it's becoming a serious um, asset class. But if you look at the breakdown today, Bitcoin accounts for dominance, uh, you know, this is maybe a couple of days ago, I, I got the screenshot, Bitcoin dominance around 41.7%, um, Ethereum around 20%, and the other sort of uh, tokens um, make up the difference. And the analysis that we'll be doing today, which is more about the fundamentals, about the bottoms up um, of uh, the way to look at crypto, it's all about these coins other than Bitcoin, because Bitcoin's um, you know, arguably, you know, there is not very much a way to prove intrinsic value, but everything else, Ethereum and including everything else on top of Ethereum, as well as other layer one chains, there is starting to become a way to use fundamentals and to use bottoms up analysis to analyze these chains and these companies, because, you know, they do have revenues, they do have users, and uh, sometimes they even have profits. And so you could actually use traditional finance modeling techniques to forecast and to value the so-called you know, crypto uh, companies going forward. And so you know, this is uh, why we're here. We're, we're here to talk about the techniques that we can potentially use to analyze these, these uh, crypto companies from a bottom-up perspective. And to do that, I picked a DeFi token, right? So what is DeFi? DeFi is... Um, it's a short form for decentralized finance. And what is decentralized finance? Decentralized finance was a subsegment of um, crypto that became popular after um, Ethereum, uh, you know, after the rise of Ethereum. Because now, for the very first time, programmers and hackers were able to make these programs or companies that's on the blockchain that have the same functionality as real world financial firms uh, in the real world today, right? So when we look at this sort of um, graphic, you can kind of see that, you know, people try to link centralized finance, which, you know, we are familiar with these, these icons, these logos, they are very big companies, and they linked it and they mapped it to decentralized finance uh, protocols. So all the logos on the right-hand side, um, I'm sure, you know, these are unfamiliar to a lot of people. All of these logos are individual tokens and individual companies that actually serve the same function as a lot of the logos on the left-hand side, right? So um, there's money, uh, there's lending protocols, there's borrowing protocols, and um, you know there's banking protocols. And the uh, case study that we're going to look at today is a company called uh, Uniswap, which is under exchange. So if you look at the, you know, the middle of the graphic on their exchange, on the right-hand side, you see a pink uh, unicorn. Well, that is uh, that's Uniswap. So that exchange is supposed to sort of uh, mimic the real-world exchanges, NYSE, you know, Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and allow 
the trading of, uh, of crypto on the decentralized uh, network. So, you know, what is Uniswap? So Uniswap is the largest DEX. And what is DEX? DEX is decentralized exchange. How is this different than, you know, centralized exchange? Well, let's first look at the numbers, right? So if you look at the top part of this graphics, right now, the middle part, it says DeFi volume dominance, 5%, right? What this says is that out of all of the crypto volume, traded volume on a daily basis, DeFi, which is are these decentralized exchange, their volume accounts for 5% of it, which means that, you know, 95% of it, 95% um, of the traded volume actually go through centralized exchange. And centralized exchange like Coinbase, like Binance, like FTX, like Gemini, right? But despite the fact that DeFi and DEX market share only have 5%, it's still pretty massive, right? So on the left, left side, you see that the DEX 24-hour trading volume is 9 billion. And this is just a random day's screenshot I took um, that you know, shows that there's a $9 billion of trading volume already on DEX, which is pretty significant. But if we break this down even further, right? So below that, there is a ranking of all the DEXs, all the decentralized exchanges and amount of volume that they're doing, their market share. Um, you can see right away that Uniswap is the number one uh, DEX um, in the world. So Uniswap right now runs two versions, version three and version two. So version three is number one and version two is number four. Um, and if you combine the market share of version three and version two, then the market share of Uniswap in the entire decentralized exchange ecosystem is about 40%, which makes it extremely large. And, and you know, if you read my report, um, you know, talking about Uniswap, you see that, you know, I think that this is one of the key reasons why I'm positive on this uh, protocol, which is the network effect. Um, because these decentralized exchanges require, you know, traders uh, on one side and liquidity providers on another side. So the bigger you become, um, the more trader will come, the more trader will come, more liquidity provider will come as well. And then that will lead to additional listing of additional token, leading to additional uh, traders to come and trade. So it's a very positive vicious cycle that I'm sure, you know, everyone who's look at exchanges will understand. But in this case, um, in, in crypto, you not only have the network effect, but you also have the phenomenal growth, the underlying growth um, of the entire ecosystem, which is, um, you know, which is actually very interesting. And one of the reasons why I think that, you know, this is a winner uh, for the long term. But, you know, let's go back to, you know, what the protocol is. So, you know, these DeFi protocols, they're called DApps, right? Decentralized application. It's a very fancy name for just the website. All you have to do to access and to use it is just to go to um, this link on this page, app.uniswap.org. Uh, once you're on this page, you need to connect your wallet, your crypto wallet, right? It could be a hot wallet, it could be a cold wallet. But once you connect your wallet to this uh, you know, essentially website, then you could do uh, crypto transactions. So I took a couple of screenshots, right? So the left hand of the screenshot is just the transaction you know, where you know, you're swapping between ETH and uh, Ethereum, which is uh, between Ethereum and uh, USDC, which is that stable coin that's uh, pegged to the US dollar. So you can assume that's just the you know, US dollar. And that's all it is, right? It's very simple. It's very clean. It's not very you know, sophisticated in the traditional uh, trading or brokerage software perspective, but, but I'm sure you know, they will make improvements in the future. But right now, all you have to do is you select the token a, and then you select token B, and then you click swap. And then you will you know, swap token A to, uh, to token B, and it is that simple. And of course, whenever you do that, uh, Uniswap records uh, the transaction as their transaction volume, they earn revenue, and they earn profits. And you know, this is the way that you know, these protocols actually have fundamentals. And on the right-hand side, right, this is the decentralized part of the decentralized exchange, meaning that these exchanges do not have uh, professional market makers behind it. You know, they don't have professional market makers sitting behind it with their balance sheets, you know, taking your trades for you. Instead, what you see on the right-hand side is the pool of USDC and ETH within Uniswap provided by other users, right? So the, this is the pool that 
me or you or anyone could go on this website. You can click on add liquidity at the top right, and then you could add your own liquidity to this pool. Then whenever a trader want to come to the uh, to Uniswap and trade, which is on, you know, on the, the graphing on the left-hand side, uh, you provide the liquidity, they do the trading, and then you actually earn the spread um, as any market maker would, right? So this is how the decentralized exchange works. On one hand, you have the traders, which is you know the normal traders that we understand. But on the other hand, there is no market makers. The only market makers are the users themselves providing the liquidities into this protocol. Now, why would users provide the liquidity for people to trade against, right? Well, you actually earn the fees, right? So um, you can see that in USDC ETH on the screen, uh, total TVL, which stands for total value locked, is 235 million. That means, uh, you know, there's enough people who put together 235 million dollars and put it all into um, this pool. And in the last 24 hours, the fees generated through trading in this pool was, uh, you know, 259,000 US dollars. And this money is actually distributed to the liquidity providers. So they actually earn a fee as any market maker would, right? By contributing capital. So this is the other side of the decentralized exchange. And it's very interesting because um, this is a USDC ETH pool and there's you know hundreds of pools on Uniswap. You can just see it when you go on the website and you can actually decide what pools, if you wanna be a liquidity provider, you can decide what pools you want to provide liquidity for and you can actually see the corresponding fees that you could receive um, as a liquidity provider. So in many cases, uh, these yields, right? These uh, liquidity provided yields on an annual basis, they could be very high. They could be 20% or even more. Um, some are even triple digits. So it's not a bad way to actually make some passive income. If people are just very positive on some of these tokens, they're willing to hold it long-term anyways. And in the meantime, they don't mind using this to provide um, liquidity uh, for people to trade against. Uh, so, you know, this is the, the decentralized part of this protocol. But all of that, you know, all of this is, um, all this data actually translate um, into fundamentals. And because it's actually on the blockchain, it's, it's transparent, um, anyone can go in and pull the data, which, um, you know, you can see uh, on this page. So, this is um, at the top, right? So it says Uniswap monthly volume, right? So this is traded volume in terms of US dollars. And, you know, it, that's in terms of billions, right? So in November alone, you know, looking at the chart, that's about $80 billion of uh, volume that's traded uh, through Uniswap. And in December, you can see that it's, it's a little bit above 20 billion because this chart is tracking it uh, real time. So this is December uh, month to date, right? which means that it's very interesting, right? So in a traditional way of analyzing companies, analyzing, you know, stocks and credit, you're waiting for some kind of announcement from the companies. It's, you know, audit reports or monthly updates or whatever. But on the blockchain, the unique part of it is that everything is done in real time and everything is transparent because everything is on the, on the blockchain. So anytime you want to see anything, you can go on the blockchain and pull the data if you actually know how to do it, right? So to pull this uh, chart, I, I pasted the code on the bottom left as well, right? So this is, this is just the code. There's eight lines of code, which I wrote, that pulls the monthly volume, traded volume data for Uniswap. And you can be a lot more elaborate, but I mean, it just shows that how simple um, it is to kind of pull that data and pull that code. And uh, yeah, this graphic shows that, you know, on a, uh, on a daily basis, you know, I kind of compared Uniswap Coinspace with Hong Kong Exchange, S SGX. Uniswap, like right now, yeah, on a daily basis, about $2.5 billion volume, which, you know, it's already a pretty big, um, sizable uh, exchange uh, relative to others. And of course, you can, you can just pull all that in real time. So with that volume, right? The volume, how does that translate into revenue? How does that translate to income statement? Well, you could take a look at a more elaborate dashboard, right? So this is um, coded you know, into, the, into the blockchain as well. You can use code to actually pull down the revenues, the profits um, of the protocol. So in, in a normal um, company, in a normal equity or credit, right? The way we look at income statement is like, okay, the amount of volume sold uh, multiplied by ASP, right? And the volume and the ASP is determined by 
determined by supply and demand um, in the market. If I was a widget maker, I need to look at other widget makers and assess how much widget I should make and what is the pricing of my widget and all that, you know, strategy and, and, you know, company direction is very complicated, but the top line in crypto is very simple. It is all programmed into the protocol. So no matter what happens, you can just go into the code and look at how much revenue um, these protocols are actually taking. And in Uniswap's case, um, it's about 0.18% of traded uh, volume. So about 18 basis points, you know, of like $100 that's traded. And this is just in the code. They, you know, it's public. They tell you about it. You can go through the, the codes and verify that this is indeed how much that they're taking as a take rate, right? So that's the revenue. And uh, it's very simple again, and you can actually pull it down on a daily basis, this is on a seven day basis, you can pull it down on a daily basis or even hourly basis. And then you can actually see how much revenue um, this protocol is uh, generating. Then what happens, right? So in a typical company, once you have the revenue, then you're talking about, you know, cost of goods sold, and then you have gross profits, then you have to, you know, subtract um, OPEX, interest, you know, all that stuff like taxes, then you finally get to a profit number. Well, in crypto, um, crypto protocols, again, you don't have any of that stuff. You don't have these cost lines. All you have is, again, a programmed um, line for profits. So in this case, for Uniswap, the profits, it's one-sixth of the revenue. So take whatever revenue that's being made by this protocol, and then you divide it by six. And that's how much profits that's going to the token holders. Uh, again, it's it's programmable. Um, it's in the smart contract, and you can pull it down on a daily basis. And so, you know, uh, if you look at the spreadsheet chart in the in the bottom, uh, the blues are hard coded. Uh, the reds are a little bit of my forecast, but you can actually model out exactly how much volume, how much revenue, and how much profits um, this protocol is uh, is generating. And you know this is uh, it's very different, right? It's it's very different from a normal income statement from a company. But this is uh, this is how it sort of works um, in the crypto protocol. And this is still okay because next will be well we will look at balance sheet, which looks completely different um, than a normal company. In a normal company, right? Once you uh, you know make that revenue, once you have the profit. The profit turns into cash flow, right? The cash flow goes into the company. The company takes that cash flow and then make additional uh, capex or investment to it, right? Well, first of all, in crypto, there is no cash flow statement because um, all of the revenues and all the profits are recognized right away. There is no inventory days. You know, there is no like payable days, receivable days, stuff like that. Everything is recognized instantly uh, on the on the revenue line as well as at the profit line. So there is no cash flow statement to kind of like translate between profits with cash flows, right? And not only that, there is no cash flow statement, there is no retained cash or retained earning uh, for these crypto protocols because you can think of it as a way that everything is paid out. Then the question is, if everything is paid out um, to the liquidity providers, to the token holders, then how do you develop um, you know, how do you invest? How do you further develop the company and the protocol, right? Well, in crypto, there's a concept called the treasury. So you can see here in the chart, this is the Uniswap treasury. And again, this is uh, public, uh, it's in code. You can, um, you can pull it up anytime you want. And what this is, is that a certain amount of Uniswap tokens was set aside when it first went public. And these tokens that were set, up, set aside went into the treasury. And this treasury is intended for purposes to further develop and invest in the protocol. And the treasury ownership is actually owned by the token holders. So if you're a token holder, you can actually direct the investment of this treasury by voting on governances and voting on uh, and, and proposing new governances. So, you know, here you have a website, um, uh, gov.uniswap.org, right? So if you go onto this website, you can actually vote on uh, anything related to Uniswap future direction and investments. And you can also propose to have new um, Uniswap initiatives that would benefit 
um, the, the protocol, right? And once you propose it, then all the other Uniswap holders, token holders would actually vote on it. So very much like, uh, you know, like equities, but this is again done real time, like 24 seven, people can propose, you know, new proposals anytime they want and you can vote on it anytime you want. Again, extremely transparent. So at the bottom right corner, you can see that this is a, uh, this is called ETH scan. So this is a, basically a website that allows you to kind of dig into the blockchain and you can see that, you know, this is the wallet, right? This is the cold, uh, cold wallet that control, uh, contains some of the treasury. And then you can actually click into the wallet and you can see exactly how much money the wallet has. This wallet right now has about, you know, $3 billion of Uniswap tokens um, as a treasury, which, you know, is quite similar to uh, what the network show. Um, so again, if that money is spent, you can actually track it as well in that um, in that sort of uh, in that website. So you know it's it's very um, you know it's very different, but you know it's it's very uh, very interesting way of looking at income statement, cash flow statement, as well as the balance sheet between a crypto company and versus a uh, typical sort of uh, equity and, and uh, credit company. And not only that, you can look at the valuations, right? Because um, this thing have profits, this thing have revenue. So you can actually do a valuation and there are various providers that actually um, look at the valuation. Of course, all the valuations here is done on a past basis, right? There is no sell side in crypto. There is no Goldman Sachs making EPS predictions for Uniswap, you know, a year later or two years later. So it, there is no forward multiples. There's only backward um, looking multiples. But despite that, you can kind of see that, you know, there is a little bit of pattern here, um, uh, even in the, you know, the past, uh, you know, uh, one year, a very short track record, but at least you can actually see that, you know, on a PS basis, it kind of typically trades between eight times versus 32 times, very volatile, but you know, that is crypto. Um, it, it is very volatile, but again, there's ways to use valuation, um, even from the traditional uh, world to value these companies. And of course, there's a lot of um, valuation methods from uh, crypto uh, natives, right? So there's ways to value it using TBL. There's ways to value it using, you know, realized market cap. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to value it. And it's very much a, a different sort of um, uh, valuation metrics and, and technique to learn to, again, to kind of um, dig into it and understand how to price these, uh, these assets. And next, you know, we need to uh, talk about the risks because, you know, I mentioned the, you know, the process of how to look at the fundamentals and I mentioned the differences, right? Uh, and all the differences are pretty much versus, you know, equity versus credit, like all the differences are pretty much risks, but, you know, there's a couple of risks that really need to highlight. So risk one, uh, top left, right, this is a screenshot of GitHub for Uniswap. So what is GitHub? GitHub is a place where you deposit all your codes, right? Why is this a risk? The risk here is that all of the code for Uniswap, I mean, Uniswap is just an application, right? So all of the code is actually open source, meaning that anyone can go and look at the code. Anyone can go and copy the code and paste the code somewhere else. If, any, you know, if people have um, coding experience, they can go and create another Uniswap in you know, days. Uh, so I try to, you know, kind of copy Uniswap as well. I mean, you can do it. It's, it's very easy. Everything is online. It's all public, right? Which means that, um, you know, where is the barrier to entry, right? Anyone can go and just replicate your product. In fact, um, people did, right? There was a case where SushiSwap forked Uniswap and then, you know, took away billions of dollars of TVL and cases like that still happen. So that's one of the risks is that if you don't have, IP, and if you don't have a way to protect other people from copying your code, then how do you um, how do you erect your moat, right? So the answer to that is, um, at least so far, is that the moat in crypto is mostly based on network effect. So the more uh, people you have using the protocol, the more sticky the protocol becomes, and the bigger and the big gets bigger, right? Because um, as we mentioned before the more liquidity a protocol has, it incentivizes more traders to come. And with more traders to come, the, uh, it generates more fees for the liquidity provider so that more liquidity provider will come. 
and then more tokens will want to list on your exchange. And then it's a very huge positive feedback loop. This is one of the reasons why, despite the fact that everything is open, everything is um, everything is free, like the code, right? Um, Uniswap is still a 40% market share owner um, of DEX. And that's, that, that's a testament of their ability to um, grow the network effect and, and leverage it. But still, it, it is a risk, right? So anyone can on the can go on this website, you just search GitHub Uniswap, you can click into it, and then you can have all the code. There's a, there's no secret here. So, you know, something for the traditional investor to definitely um, be mindful of. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, more risks on top right, you know, corner, I have a paste of the screenshot of SEC investigates Uniswap. So regulation is going to be a key topic in crypto as well as DeFi as, as, as well as everything else, right? Crypto is very interesting where, you know, the entire idea is very anti-government. So for governments to investigate, to lay down regulations to govern um, crypto is very sensible. And I do believe that um, in the future, there'll be more and more regulations. There'll be more ways for governments to kind of um, handicap the development of these protocols and the crypto um, as a whole. Which, you know, which is something that, which is a risk that people need to be aware of because that should be their base case scenario that there will be more and more regulation. Now, the question is how much regulation and do the regulators really want to destroy the entire sector? Uh, I mean, my personal view, I mean, I don't know, right? But my personal view is that I think there are regulators who want to work with crypto, who want to work with the entire ecosystem to help uh, you know, regulate it, but as well as, um, you know, encouraging uh, innovation to help grow it, right? But again, this is something that we need to um, have the wait and see attitude. Uh, regulators globally are very behind the curve uh, in terms of crypto. But again, usually regulations follows innovation, right? So we'll have to just kind of wait and see in terms of development um, on the regulation side. But again, another risk to highlight, right? And it's not a very small risk either. And the third risk is uh, bottom left. Uh, this is a chart showing the total hacking incidents over the past couple of years. And 2021 uh, showed the biggest spike of money lost through hacks, right? It's close to $8 billion, right? This is pretty significant. And most of that is lost through protocols like, you know, DeFi protocols where, you know, they take your money, they trade your money for you and it gets hacked and then boom, you lose all your money. Uh, because at the end of the day, these protocols, these 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 companies, they're just programs. So if there is a bug in the program, then it could be exploited, and hackers who actually know how to do the uh, do the hacking, they can go in and steal your money, right? So again, this is something to be very well aware of. But Uniswap is, uh, you know, so far very secure. Gone through multiple rounds of security audits, and they actually have some of the best developers. So at least for Uniswap this risk um, is relatively low, but something still to be aware of. And the final risk that, you know, I personally have an issue with as a, uh, as an investor is that, you know, this is, a, this is Hayden Adam. He is the founder of Uniswap. He is 27 right now. He founded this when he was 23. And the problem here is that there is no way, there's no transparency around the leadership and the management of this company, right? So it's headed by Hayden Adams, uh, we barely know who else is sort of on the team, right? It's not very public. It's not very um, transparent. We do not know their compensation structure. We do not know their incentive structure. Um, so how do we as investors actually um, track their direction, what do they want, what they want to do, and how they think about you know, their own involvement uh, with Uniswap, right? Uh, in a typical company, you have boards, you know, you have meetings, um, you can actually track these public figures. But in crypto, a lot of these protocols are very much um, hidden or not very transparent in terms of um, accessing these people. So again, that's another risk that people need to be aware of when they invest in protocols. I mean, luckily in Uniswap's case, their backers, their VCs are very prominent, like uh, A16Z, like Anderson, you know, Horowitz. So the assumption here is that, you know, they're holding you know Hayden's hand and trying to manage it in a respectable way you know towards the future. So there are some you know mitigation to that risk, but again, these are all very serious risks that people need to you know think about uh, because it's very, very different than investing in the traditional world of equities and credit. These are some of the risks that you know that's not really um, within equity and credit, but 
they're new um, in crypto and something to be very aware of, right? And uh, with that, I mean, that kind of concludes my uh, presentation. You know, just to sum it up, right? The idea here is that, you know, crypto, it's a very fast moving sort of um, sector segment. There's various macro reasons as well as various uh, bottoms up reasons why the growth is so phenomenal, right? And it just so it happens recently, right? It, the sector is no longer just purely macro. There's a lot of protocols that have revenue, that have profits, that you can actually do a bottoms up analysis, forecast, value it, and provide a you know a range of valuations on these companies, and that's actually very interesting. But the difference is massive between um, crypto companies and real companies. Uh, you know, income statement, cash flow statement, balance sheet, all the accounting is extremely different. And all the risks that I mentioned before is something that, you know, it's very different as well. So it's a very interesting journey and um, very, very interesting for, for a, you know, someone who's an investor and analyst to kind of analyze and dig into. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it's definitely worth everyone's time to kind of uh, pay more attention um, to this going forward. And with that, Michael, I mean, uh, we can uh, open up the floor to uh, to any questions. Thank you very much for this, Josh. The, this was a very thorough presentation and uh, very interesting stuff. As we wait for uh, any questions to come in, I guess one thing that I'm curious about is you have described something that's a little bit more complicated than you know your your average uh, fundamental uh, analysis that in investors are uh, sort of used to. Uh, and my question was, how much of a specialty knowledge does an investor need to have in order to perform, to, to actually pull that data and be able to read it? For example, a, a person in the audience asks, you know, where do you paste the, those codes, right? So it can get as basic as that. Right. And, uh, and just kind of on top of that, uh, have, you, have you seen uh, uh, any resources pop up? Uh, that kind of do the work of pulling that data for investors since it's uh, since it's all public and available? Right. I mean, that's a, that's a really good question because, um, you know, as, um, as it is with every single asset class, right? Every single asset class have its own set of tools, right? So even, you know, for professional investors who is familiar with equities, with credit, right? They actually had to learn how to use Bloomberg. And, you know, when people graduate from college and they enter into asset management industry for the first time, you know, it took them a long time or maybe a little bit of time to understand how to use the commands on Bloomberg, how to pull the data, how to download the annual reports, right? How to call into the conference calls, right? Um, and, the, and how to use Excel, basically, right? How to, use, how to write macros and how to do modeling. So that tool is for the, you know, equity and credit asset class. But... For crypto, there's a new set of tools, and that's basically all it is. It's just another set of tools, and another set of tools. It's very, I mean, it takes some time to learn, but trust me, it's no, it's no more difficult than understanding accounting. You know, accounting is very difficult. This, this stuff, this tool is not more. Uh, you know, it, it is difficult, but it's not more difficult than accounting. I would say. And uh, your second question in terms of like, you know, are there more of these uh, aggregator tools that, you know, resources that allow investors to, um, to use it? Well, yeah, I mean, so on this site, right, where I pulled down this data for the monthly volume is this is a data analytics website called Doom Analytics. And what it is, is that it enables people to write simple codes like this to pull down from the blockchain. And this code is very simple. It's just eight lines in SQL. It, it, it's very easy to learn as well. So once you learn it, you just put it into, anyone can just Google do analytics, right? You can just click up, you can just open it and you can start writing in commands um, right away. And then you can start pulling down this, uh, this volume. And there's a lot of sites like this too. Unfortunately, there is no Bloomberg for crypto yet where everything's aggregated. But I am pretty sure that in the future, that will happen and we will have a much even e easier way to um, to pull the data so instead of writing code i imagine like in a year or two years time um, you can just press a button and then you know you can just download this right away the the innovation and the technological changes here is happening really fast so i'm very confident that it will become even more investor friendly in the future 
That's a that's a great answer, actually. Like, thank you for making that clearer because uh, I can see how it could get complicated pretty fast. But uh, it seems like things are uh, uh, might be simpler than that. Uh, another question from the audience is: uh, So you have provide provided uh, a way to do fundamental analysis on Uniswap, which is an exchange. Is there any way to make fundamental analysis on individual cryptocurrencies uh, such as Bitcoin or Ether or the like? Yeah, I mean, really good question. Uh, and so I sort of, um, you know, uh, talked about this a little bit at the beginning where I mentioned, you know, originally Bitcoin is very much a macro play. Um, there's very little intrinsic value that you can actually prove. Um, it's more of a belief system that, you know, you think that there's value there and then other people will think that there's value and then, you know, it replaces gold. But for protocols like Uniswap, where you can actually have revenue, you have uh, trackable profits, then that's where you can do fundamental analysis and bottoms up analysis. So for Bitcoin, you can't really use that tool to prove it. For Bitcoin, you actually have to do a more of a top down analysis to look at macro, like most people look at macro, look at gold, look at quantitative easing in terms of the, of the debasement of currency to understand you know, what the value it is for uh, Bitcoin. Now for Ethereum, you can actually use this bottoms up framework as well. Ethereum and Polygon and you know Avalanche, any, anything else. It is a chain that also generates profits, that generates revenues whenever there's activity on these uh, chains. For Ethereum, for example, the activity for Ethereum recently in the past couple of months um, spiked because of all the NFT minting, NFT selling uh, of the NFT craze, right? And that created a lot of revenue for Ethereum token holders and miners and stuff like that. So there's a way to do it um, for Ethereum from a bottoms up perspective. And you can actually go through this entire process um, and actually do it. Uh, for Ethereum, although you know it's much more difficult because there's a lot more drivers for the entire protocol, uh, for the entire chain than just a single protocol like this. But um, but for that, it's uh, you can actually do that, do it um, using this process. Thank you for that. Another question is: uh, What risks are associated with uh, market making at decentralized exchanges? You talked a bit about the uh, you know some some of the fundamental risks, but uh, uh, what do you think about this one? Uh, it's, uh, I think it's very risky. <laughs> so, um, you don't, you know, you don't really earn, you know, 20% or three digit, uh, you know, uh, yield, um, by taking no risk, right. It's actually pretty risky. Um, and there's a couple of risks, right? So first of all, the risk is, um, the platform risk, right? So I guess the counterparty risk, um, when you actually staking your coins into the decks, um, you're making an assumption that Uniswap is going to be around. Uh, and return return the tokens to you, right? So in the case of Uniswap that like, goes down or um, it gets hacked, then your counterparty risk um, materializes and you can potentially lose that. Although, I mean, that's a very low risk and that's probably one of the worst risks possible that you lose everything, right? The second risk is that you're just taking uh, principal risk, right? You're taking inventory risk. Let's say if you're staking, uh, your market making like Ethereum, USDC, right? If because you have to buy it to stake it, then anytime that Ethereum price goes down, you actually lose money. Now, hopefully your market making fees um, will compensate you, but um, it might not, right? So here um, you're actually taking principal risk on, on Ethereum. Um, another risk, which is a, you know, very, um, gets a little bit more technical, but it's very much crypto related is, is the thing called impermanence risk. So how the market making works is that when you deposit two coins, right? You always, you always have to uh, stake two tokens. When you deposit two tokens, initially, it has to be on the 50 by 50 ratio. But what happens if one token's price starts to spike, right? Then what's happening to you as a market maker is that Uniswap is slowly selling your token that's increasing in price and buying the token that's not increasing in price as fast. So essentially what you're doing as a market maker is that you're selling the winner and then you're buying the loser, which you know a lot of people are not very comfortable with because you know for like trend following uh, traders, you actually wanna buy the winner and sell the losers, right? So that's another risk. Uh, there is no risk of losing money and permanence risk, but you actually, um, you're missing out 
um, additional upside uh, with that risk. So those are um, those are a couple of the key risks. I would say still the biggest risk is the risk of being hacked, right? And that's another reason why protocol like Uniswap is so popular. It has 40% of the market share. So it has proven itself that it, it can survive through hacks, through, through these um, bull, uh, bull and bear markets. So people are willing to put their liquidity into this protocol versus like some new upstart. Uh, it's very difficult to trust a smaller exchange, you know, without without the time and the track record that they have. So, so yeah, these, these are the risks, but very, very worthwhile um, thinking about. Thank you for that. Uh, another attendee thanks you for the presentation, which is brilliant, uh, they say. And they have two questions. So question one, would you mind sharing your take on Uniswap's current valuation versus your base or bull case projection? And the second question is, if the thesis is that crypto continues to gain adoption, uh, what's your view on Coinbase's positioning on the market? Can it coexist with Uniswap or are they destined to compete um, can Coinbase step on Uniswap's territory since uh, uh, the latter's code is open sourced? Sure, great questions. Um, obviously, a very informed question as well. So in terms of valuation, right, how I think about it is actually very much from an equities perspective. So, and I think about it in terms of, you know, how much money I could lose and how much money, you know, I could actually make, right? So in this case, um, it's pretty clear that valuation is on the cheap side um, versus um, historicals, right? So all I need to know and all I need to believe is that the valuation will hold its current multiple while the protocol continues to grow in volume and grow in profits. Then I will just make money from uh, you know, so-called EPS growth instead of um, multiple expansion uh, that may or may not happen. Um, and, you know, if we kind of model out the crypto adoption and, the you know, the trend of um, trading volume growth for, you know, Uniswap and other exchanges, you know, we're talking about probably like 100% or maybe a little bit less than 100% growth on an annual basis. So if I can just make that um, on this token, then I don't need to count on multiple uh, expansion to give me the extra, extra kick on returns, right? But with that being said, you know, it's always good to see uh, multiple expansion and multiple expansion is really dependent on the flavor um, of the day, right? And capital within crypto, um, as well as, you know, within other asset classes rotate pretty furiously. So you don't really know when, you know, one day capital is very much interested in DeFi or very much interested in metaverse or GameFi. There is an ecosystem within crypto where uh, capital is actually shifting from sector to sector. And so I think there is a chance for multiple expansion in Uniswap. I don't know when or how, but you know that's the beauty of it is that I don't think you, you need to be right on this in terms of timing to actually enjoy the fundamental um, growth of the volumes. And uh, for the second question, uh, I think it's uh, competition versus Coinbase, right? So Coinbase is a centralized exchange. And, uh, you know, if we look at one of these charts is that DeFi is very small. Like DEX is very small right now. It's only 5% of total traded volume. So, uh, you know, Coinbase is part of that 95%. So Uniswap is not really a competitor versus Coinbase. Coinbase is a competitor versus, you know, Binance versus Gemini uh, versus all the other um, centralized exchanges. But for people who want to trade on Uniswap, they're, the, they're very different than people who want to trade on Coinbase. Because on Uniswap, for example, you don't need to provide KYC. There's a lot of um, anonymity. And at the same time, you actually have to be a little bit more a little bit more technical, right? You need to know how to set up a cold wallet, how to set up a hot wallet, how to take ownership of your passcode, what, you know, how to find the token address that you're going to trade. So it's very, very, it's, it's a lot more technical than Coinbase, which is similar to any sort of brokerage. You transfer money in and they can start trading crypto. So I would say right now, they're not in direct competition, especially since how small uh, decentralized exchanges are. But in the future, could they compete? Sure, um, it could compete, but that's really not anytime soon um, right now. So I, I think right now you kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, ignore the fact that they might compete uh, right now. Yeah. Got it. Thank you for that. 
another question is, uh, there's quite a lot of uh, protocols out there and there are new ones and there are ones that have existed for some time. How would you evaluate if a protocol uh, would continue to be successful or it would drop off? Very good question. So protocols, I assume they're talking about layer one chains like Ethereum or uh, Polygon or, or, or it could potentially be like things like Uniswap, right? Um, and again, I think, um, so when I look at crypto, the biggest thing I look at is network effect because, um, you know, in this hyper-connected world, right, it's all about the community. It's all about the users who are willing to stick with a protocol, with a chain that kind of drives further user adoption. If there is no community behind it, then there will be no further adoption. So first you need to look at, you know, who is using it, how many people are using it. And then I think it's about the product that it delivers. So for Uniswap, for example, they have upgraded a couple of versions. Now it's version three, um, which, you know, it's, it's quite innovative, which means that, you know, people have a reason um, to continue uh, to use it. Um, so I guess like fundamentally, that's how you could track. But then technically, there's a lot of on-chain data that you can use to track how popular something is and potentially how popular it could be, right? So one of the things that you can track is TVL. TVL is just total value lock. It means that how much liquidity are people willing to stake into this protocol? And uh, it's a huge vote on the confidence of this protocol because it's actually real money. So for Uniswap, I think right now, TVL is about $10 billion. Um, You know, it's one of the biggest. And, you know, that gives you a sense. And the trend of that, you can actually watch the trend um, of this. So if the TVL trend is going up, then you can actually make an uh, assumption that, you know, people are willing to stake more and more money into this, uh, this exchange, this protocol, and people are, are favorable for it. There's other on-chain data, like, you know, how many owners of Uniswap there are, you can actually go to this website, you can pull down the list of all the token holders, you can track how many token holders, right? If a token have 100 holders versus a token who have a million holders, right, you can easily see um, how popular it is. And then, of course, you can track the increase in the token holders individually, right, to get the trend. If Uniswap is, you know, going up in a very nice trend and all of a sudden drops down massively because token holders all sold, then you can kind of tell like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with adoption, with um, with people's uh, you know perception of Uniswap. And there's tons of other stuff too. Um, on-chain analysis is a complete different way of uh, looking at the tokens from a technical and the quantitative basis. But yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of ways to um, to get to look at adoption and try to use that to make a forecast about the future of these protocols. Thank you for that. Maybe I'll take a couple more questions uh, before we wrap it up, since there's clearly quite a bit of interest uh, on this. So one question is, is Uniswap uh, an inflationary token or a deflationary token? And if so, what is the estimated inflation per year? Can we, can we talk about Uniswap as a, as a token? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So uh, Uniswap is a token as deflationary. So basically, you can actually see it in my report if I just pull it up. It's actually in part two where I talk about um, the tokenomics of, uh, of Uniswap. Basically, uh, you can see that. So 1 billion, when it went public, uh, essentially in September 2020, uh, 1 billion Uni tokens um, was created, right? And this is basically um, the limit of the tokens. So meaning that, you know, there's not going to be um, tokens that's dropped to people that's above it, right? So sorry, what, what was the question? So is it just inflation and deflationary? Well, basically, it's capped at 1 billion uh, uni tokens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess the question is, if, if it were inflationary, what would be the estimated inflation per year? Oh, yeah. So that um, that shouldn't be that shouldn't apply here. Um, I believe that it's just only one billion tokens um, uh, dropped uh, initially. And then what happens is that there is locked and uh, freely circulating portion. So the freely circulating portion are basically what people use to calculate the circulated market cap. And the locked portion is on a vesting schedule that gradually vests um, over time. But the total amount of tokens that should be one billion. Got it. Thank you very much.
Another question is, the attendee uh, says uh, that valuation can only be calculated if the number is genuine. Is it possible that exchanges can fake transaction volume since there is no regulator or third party to verify? Yes, very good question. Um, so uh, this is a critical point for centralized exchanges, but it is not a point for decentralized exchanges. And the reason is because for decentralized exchanges, all of the transactions are actually done on chain, which means that any one of us could go into the protocol, click a couple of buttons and see exactly how much trade or money has actually gone through the, the blockchain. And all of that is immutable. It cannot be changed. And that's, you know, that's the power of the blockchain. It's, it's immutable. It cannot be changed by anyone. Once it's done, it's done. And it's very transparent. Um, so for a, for a decentralized exchange, all the volumes are 100% real. And there's absolutely no way to fake it. Um, but for a centralized exchange, like a Binance, you know, like a Coinbase, like Huobi, um, it's very easy to kind of like inflate the, the volumes. And, it, you know, those, those companies... Well, I guess Coinbase is audited now, but a lot of these exchanges are not audited. Um, it's very difficult to actually track the validity of their numbers. So that is a, that is something to be worried about. But for, for everything DeFi, it's completely on-chain and completely transparent. Got it. Thank you for that. And finally, what are some of the some of the ways that token holders get distributions of profits of profits uh, or revenues from different protocols? Um, asks yeah. the identity. So that that's a that's a very good question as well. Uh, very good questions all over. Um, so actually, there has not really been a very good way to solve this problem of how token holders will actually get the profits from the revenue, right? From the from the protocol. So when I mentioned that Uniswap, you know, pays out eighteen basis points, uh, the the revenue take take rate is eighteen basis points, and the profits one sixth of that. That is not even turned on yet. And as a token holder, you actually do not get that one sixth of um, the revenue as profits. What is happening here is that the community, all the token holders have elected to not turn this on and elected to not take this one sixth. In exchange, they want to give this profits to the liquidity providers to incentivize them to provide even more liquidity, right? So they're just basically saying that, oh, don't give me that dividend, use that dividend and pay the liquidity providers. And so that liquidity providers will put more liquidity into the protocol. And then in the long term, that would be more beneficial uh, for my tokens, right? But in the case that um, one day the token holder decides that, oh, okay, we want that one sixth of the profit now. All they have to do is go into the governance, vote for it, all agree upon it, and then they will start receiving that one sixth. Now, how do they actually receive it, right? Right now in the market, there's essentially three different ways. Uh, one way is that you just receive it directly, right? They, they, uh, the protocol just airdrops you additional tokens and then you receive, you receive it in, in the form of Uniswap. Another way is that the protocol will actually go out there into the market and buy back tokens uh, you know, every day or every month. And then with the buyback, they burn it. So they destroy the tokens. So essentially, it's like a, a company, right, doing buybacks and then canceling the stock, thereby increasing your proportion uh, of the company as an equity holder. So those are basically the two ways how the token holder um, will get access to that profit. But there is no one consensus way of how to best um, to do it. So it's very, um, it's very interesting, very, very experimental. But you know, it is something that people really care about. But again, it's like a hyper growth company as well. Like people are not too worried about sharing the profits yet because people are just worried about, people are thinking about the growth, right? People are thinking about long-term growth. Um, like, you know, Amazon 10 years ago, you don't expect Amazon to pay you a dividend because people wanted the growth. But it is something um, that uh, the all the crypto people are actually thinking uh, pretty hard about, yeah. Got it, thank you very much. And there you have it. Thank you very much, Josh, for this very educational presentation. Uh, thank you, everyone, for attending and for sharing your questions. If you are on Smart Karma, I definitely recommend that you check out Josh's uh, reports on Uniswap that uh, elaborate on a lot of what we talked about here. And of course, follow his profile on Smart Karma to see more of his insights. 
If you have any other questions, please email us at research at smartcarbon.com, including anyone who whose question we didn't manage to get to today. Josh, thank you very much once again. Thank this you, Michael. A very, uh, this has been a particularly great session. Uh, and uh, thank you, everyone, for being here with us. Thank you, all. That's it for this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you at the next one.